We are in Titus uh, today, and we're going to be there for some time. And you may ask yourself, or you may ask me, or Scott, or somebody, why in this season do we choose to take a deep dive into this short letter from Paul to Titus? Why, when there's all this confusion and, and chaos swirling around, when, 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 when things are just uh, seem to be going at a frantic pace, why now? Why, why do we pause and look at this book, this letter now? And I would say to you, if you were to ask me that, that it's precisely for that, those reasons that we stop and we take a deep, uh, deep dive into this short letter. Uh, because there is, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, Patsy, but the world is sort of in ticked off mode right now. It's mad. People are, are, are offended at every turn. Uh, people are upset. We're, we've got this chip on our shoulder type of mentality right now. We've been, we're doubting, and we're just, we're just mad. We're not in good moods. And I say we because I know that there's several here who are in that mood as well. That we don't, we're just, we're just tired. We're, we're worn out, and we're tired of, of, of seemingly endless sources of information, and none of them seem to agree with each other. And, and people are looking and searching for answers. Well, as a pastor... Well, first of all, let's back up a little bit. As a believer, I believe that Jesus Christ has the answer for everything that that ills the world. That if if the people, and as a pastor, I believe that too, that if the people of God would love and live like Jesus loved, that this world would be a much better place, that there wouldn't be as much confusion swirling around. And that's why we are going to look at at Titus We've spent the last couple weeks sort of setting the, the, the foundation, and we're going to continue with that today in setting the foundation. But, but, but Paul and Titus together form this team that has wisdom, not just for the generation that it was originally written to, but for our generation as well. And I believe with all my heart that, that we should listen to what Paul is saying to Titus and to the church Why? Well, we saw that last week when we looked at those first three verses that sometimes we just glance over, those introduction, that introduction, that that Paul is someone deeply committed to God's chosen people. He wants to see you grow from infant in Christ to spiritual giant. He is, he, he, his, whole, his whole purpose in life was not just to bring people into the church so that the church could put notches in their belt and say, hey, this, look, we've added another member, we've added another member. No, Paul was equally as committed to seeing people who put their faith in Jesus grow in maturity in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes a strong church. And that's what I believe, as we're going to see today, it was able to allow Titus and the church in this place, in this, in this, in this time, to, be, to have the impact that it had. So, so let's look a little bit. Uh, I, I was worried in the first service because I had a different uh, pointer in the first service, and it, right next to the, the, the button I was supposed to push was the power button, so I was afraid that I was going to turn stuff off at the wrong time, but I only have one button on here, so if I shine it in your eyes, I'm sorry. But we want to look a little bit, okay? This is a map of the Mediterranean region, uh, and this is taken, it has on it not modern-day cities and ports and that type of thing, but time, first-century names. So when, when you're reading the gospel, all right, over here is where most of the gospels take place. Uh, you, you have Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Bethlehem. You have Tyre and Sidon. You have, you have the Jordan River that runs right there. Right, that's, where the, that's where the gospels take place. And as you get into the book of Acts, as you start reading in the book of Acts, uh, you start to expand the area 
area a little bit. The gospel starts to go uh, through Paul, through Peter, through the apostles, up into this region and over closer into, into Rome. Uh, and then you see it also go off this direction and down here into Egypt, uh, into North Africa. You see the gospel spread and explode. Right? And this is where Right? This is where the story takes place, is in this ever-expanding arena. And this book is written to, as you might have guessed, uh, through the title which, that we have in our Bible. It's written to Titus. And when you look at Titus, you may not see at first glance all that there is to see about this man. But when you piece together all the places in Scripture, you get a pretty bold picture of who this guy is and why Paul left him on this, in this place called Crete. So 13 times in the New Testament, Titus is mentioned. And I'm going to encourage you to do some reading outside of church today, out of your Bible, uh, just to get a fuller picture. But you can go to places like Galatians chapter 2, and you can see more of uh, this guy Titus and what he is doing. So Galatia, when we talk about that, we're talking about this region right in here. And Paul, in his first and second missionary journeys, traveled there planting uh, churches. And wherever he went, he would establish churches. And, and we can learn from, from Galatians and from, first, or from Second Corinthians uh, that, that Titus was there with him. And, and, and Titus was, was, was there, he traveled with him, and he, so Paul was up here ministering, uh, but something happened where he had to stop, right? And you can, you can read uh, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 15, that he had to stop ministering and planting churches here and travel back to the home base, to Jerusalem, to deal with some issues, to meet with this council of church leaders, and, and to, to basically answer the question, what in the world is happening in our world right now. So some things were happening in the first century, the early church. Gentiles were actually putting their faith in who Jesus was. They, they heard the message, and they were actually putting their faith, they were surrendering their lives to this guy, Jesus. And the Jews in Jerusalem, especially those who were leading the church, the early church, started to say, hey, uh, I guess that's okay that God loves them too and that he died for them, that he sent his son. We guess that's all right. And man, I think we're happy that they're putting their faith in Jesus. But in order for them to do that, they need to do some other things. They need to go from being the heathens that they are through Judaism and then they can be Christians. So they were wanting them to adopt all the Old Testament practices and rites and everything. And it had become a big issue. Right? So and you had to go through the rite of circumcision uh, before you could become a Christian. You had to adopt certain uh, Old Testament uh, Jewish customs before you could become a Christian. So for them, the path to Christianity wasn't straight to Jesus. It was from recognizing I need to do something different through Judaism, and then you could arrive at Christianity. But Paul and other first century leaders are called back to Jerusalem to hash this out. And he brings with him some object lessons. One of those is Titus. And he says, hey guys, look at what God is doing through the spreading of the gospel to Gentiles. You have Titus. Titus, and look, what, look, look at what Titus is doing. He, he uses him as an example of why you don't have to go from, from recognizing my sinfulness to Judaism to Christianity. Why going, jumping over that and going straight to Christianity, straight to Jesus is enough. And Titus is an example of that. You, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and 8. And you can see from there that Titus had become such a dear traveling companion that he was trusted with a lot. 
Now, First and Second Corinthians are written. Can we go back to that, that map, guys? First uh, and Second Corinthians are written to a city, to churches here in Corinth. So here you can see that Corinth is, is, a, is a port city. You can get to it by coming this way or by coming this way. So it is a city where there is a lot of traffic, where there are a lot of different types of people for a lot of different reasons coming in and through that city. It is a commerce town, and anything goes in this city. And, and Paul had planted churches in Corinth, and those churches were having to fight against all the idol worship and all the, the immorality that was happening in this port city. Their chief sin, if they had a favorite, if it was listed, like, uh, like McDonald's has how many ever cheeseburgers sold, right? Sexual immorality would have been the tagline on this city. It was part of their worship. It was a part of their daily life. Uh, uh, what we would consider morality, right, didn't, was not even on their radar. And the church was having issues here. Who did he send to take care of the church there? Titus. And we see that after Titus spent some time there, that he goes and he catches back up with Paul, and he reports to them everything that has been happening uh, in the church uh, in Corinth. Um, and so he, you see Paul write things like, I have heard great reports from Titus. I hear amazing things about what you are doing from Titus. Under Titus's leadership, the church in Corinth started doing what the church in Corinth was originally supposed to be doing. Titus was sent there to right the ship, to set straight. And then as Paul signed his name on that letter, he sent it back to Corinth with who? With Titus. So, now we have to ask ourselves, we have these two pictures of Titus as sort of this special assignment guru to church in hard places. What does that tell us about Crete? Why is this letter, this short letter, written to Titus and the church at Crete? Well, so let's look at Crete a little bit. We know about Paul. We know a little bit about Titus. Let's talk about Crete just a little bit. For those of you who like to compare things, let me give you some things to compare. So first of all, uh, Crete is about the same size as Puerto Rico, right? So, so the, if, you have, if you have Puerto Rico and then you have Crete, they're roughly the same size. So if you don't know, don't Puerto Rico doesn't register for you. Let's throw our great state up there, okay? There's West Virginia, all right? West Virginia is roughly seven and a half times the size of Crete. So Crete is not a very big place at all, right? It's about 160 miles long, and at its widest parts, about 30 miles deep. It's not very big, right? So, and, but Crete is the largest, if we go back to the other map, Crete is the largest of these islands. You see, uh, the rest of these are just basically dots, Right. Crete is large. And I want you to, to look at, at what, uh, why Crete is the way it is. First of all, let's think about this. In the first century, most of the industry, most of the, most of the trade was either coming from down here in Egypt and North Africa, or it was coming over here from what we refer to now as the Middle East. That's where the trade, that's where most of the commerce was coming from. And what was the main way of getting goods to new places? Ships. 
If it was possible, it was much quicker to go by boat than it was to go by camel or horse or donkey or anything else. But because they didn't have sophisticated GPS systems and navigation systems, in, in, in bad weather and rough seasons especially, uh, sh- uh, captains, ship captains, would hug the coast. So if you were going from Alexandria and you were going over here to, 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 to Rome and Roman colonies, you would hug the coast and you would go all the way up around here. Now, let's go back to math class. For those of you who said you'd never use this in real life, right, you actually do. What is the shortest distance between two points? A straight line. So in good season and in good weather, when the seasons were good and you didn't expect as many pop-up storms, that's what sailors would do. So if you were going from Alexandria to, to, to Corinth or to the Greek colonies, the Rome, Roman colonies, you would go straight across. And as you do that, if you're any sailor at all, you're going to hit Crete. And if you're coming over here from the Holy Lands and you're going that direction, right, you're going to go by Crete. Crete was located as in the middle of all these trade shipping routes. Right, and you can see up there that there's, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, I think, or four, there's four up there. There were there six major ports and two minor ports on this island. So I want you to think then about the type of people who inhabited this small island, 160 by 30 miles in diameter, in, in dimension. Right? They're sailors. They've been on boats for a long time, and they're coming. And, when they, and what do sailors do when they get to a port of call? Anything and everything. After they've been trapped on a boat uh, for days, right, longer, if you don't have a very good captain, right, you want to just let loose, have fun. I don't know how many Pirates of the Caribbean uh, fans you have in the room, but I want you to think of Captain Jack Sparrow and some of the things, some of the seedy places in those Pirates of the Caribbean movies. That is Crete, all day, every day because ships are always coming in. It is, it is far away from Greece, from, from, from Greece, uh, the, 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 the area, and far enough away from Rome that they can call their own shots. They can make their own rules. And their rules are pretty loose. They're their own people, and almost anything goes. Um, as a matter of fact, let's, let's just listen to how a few of uh, historians have described them. It said that in antiquity, to be identified as a Cretan was to be linked with the moral decadence of the ancient world associated with the people of that island. Now, some of you may take offense if somebody calls you a hillbilly. I don't. Why? Because I'm pretty much a hillbilly. But if someone's to walk up to you and call you a Cretan, it would offend you. It was not a good thing, even if you were from Crete, right? Um, Cicero wrote, the rules of life were so contradictory that the Cretans regard robbery as honorable. And Polybius, an ancient Greek historian, he was even a little bit more harsh in his description. He said, now it would be impossible to find, except in some rare instances, personal conduct more treacherous or a public policy more unjust than those that can be found on Crete. That is the island. That is the culture of Crete. Anything goes What's right for you may not be right for me. You do you, I'll do me. Everybody just does their own thing, and that's the culture that we live in. 
Now, is it me? Or do you guys see any similarities between first century Crete and the culture that we live in today? Now, we may not have, uh, it may not be partying all the time and uh, brothels and bars constantly full, but that idea of anything goes, what's good for you is not good for me, there's no absolute truth, there's no real truth that we all should cling to, that pretty much defines where we are today. That's probably important. Paul even adds to this. He, he, he even adds to this because as you read, we've already read uh, some of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, to Titus, my true, true child in a common faith. And we're going to skip over some verses for, for, for this week and come back to them next week. But just to paint even a deeper picture, a more vibrant picture of what Crete is like, let's see what Paul says about it. If you go down to verse number 10, he says, I sent, you to, I sent Titus, or I left Titus in Crete. I, you need to put things right, get the right leaders in place, and this is the reason in verse number 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those from the, of the circumcision party. Uh, they, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, right, this is a Cretan talking about Cretans, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, says Paul. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the faith. And then skipping down to verse 16, just for right now. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Again, do you not see the similarities between first century Crete and 2021 where we live and operate and live today? Is that anything goes culture, society. But here's what we know. You can go to the history books and you can see the difference that that, that, that Paul and Titus made on this godless island of Crete. Because a few, several centuries later, right, this, this island that is known for sexual immorality, for partying, for, for no laws, where, where robbery is considered a virtue, in the 8th century, <laughs> there are over 70 healthy Christian churches on that island. Now, church then was a little bit different than, than it is today. I mean, this would have been a mega church uh, in eighth century on eighth century Crete, right? Because they were still smaller units, right? maybe getting up to a hundred, but there were seventy churches on this small piece of real estate. So that sort of leads me to believe that whatever Paul wrote to Titus and to the church maybe ought to be listened to. Because it made a difference. It, transferred, it transformed Cretan into a, 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 a cuss word, a slang word, a slap in the face to something that brought honor. From more immorality ruling the day to Christianity and covering the entire island. That is a transformation 
that I would love to have seen. If I could go and if I, if, the, the, if I had the ability and the opportunity to travel back in time, this is something that I would like to see. Crete in 60 A.D. and Crete in 800 A.D. Just to be able to see the transformation. I would love to see that type of transformation in the Mid-Ohio Valley. I would love to see that our confusion wiped away and a singular focus on Jesus Christ put before us all, and we are all chasing it with passion and commitment. I, I would love for us to, to the, 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 our Facebook posts, uh, our, our Instagram, our Twitter posts, the conversations that we find ourselves in to be replaced, or to take that confusion and that constant going back and forth to replace by elevating Jesus above everything else. And if we want that church we need to be, pay close attention and pick out the major themes of Titus. And that is where we're now finally, next week, going to get into the meat, what we would consider the meat. But we can't get into the meat fully without understanding who, who Paul is and why he's operating the way he is. And we can't really understand how powerful the meat is if we don't understand the transformation that it made in a godless society. And if we want to see the same, a similar transformation in our Mid-Ohio Valley region, in our homes, in our church, maybe we ought to squint real tight and focus earnestly on what Paul said to the church. If we pick out the major themes, and I, I encourage you to do this, um, I encourage you to look at the major themes of Titus, and hopefully you're starting to pick those out, uh, even as we've only touched a few of the verses. But if you go through, you have these major examples, these summary statements of the gospel uh, hidden in chapters 2 and 3. And I encourage you just to, to focus on them. For the grace of God, it says in, 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 in chapter 2, verse 11, has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just honest merchants going to Crete. It wasn't just a, a few good people uh, opening up a business on Crete. It was when the grace of God appeared that Crete was transformed. If you go over to chapter 3, verse 11, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, those are summary statements of what the gospel is in church. That's what we need to be elevating. That's what we need to be proclaiming. In chapter 2, verse 10, we see that, that, that everything was done so that they might adorn the doctrine of God. That is our job, church, not to be, as we talked about the first week, on the right side of an argument, on the right side of a debate, but to make much and adorn the word of God. Verse, chapter 1, verse 5, we are, need to set straight what needs fixed. And Paul's writing to Titus and to us. He says, here's your charge. This is what, in these 46 verses, this is what true Christianity looks like in a rough and tumble culture. We think things are bad now, right? We have nothing on Crete. This is what living a godly life looks like in a rough society. This is your charge. This is how you're to operate as a, as a body of believers. If you're committed to adorning the doctrine of God, if you're committed to throwing off all restraints, if you're uh, committed to, to seeing people come to salvation and being eager for good works, then this is what we are to do. And this is our aim. And this is how Paul closes out this letter. In chapter 3, verse 14, you find these words. And let our people, 
Learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Church, we have been guilty of being unfruitful because we find ourselves pulled into meaningless debates about anything and everything instead of elevating and adorning his word. The gospel has the power to change. And that's what Paul spends this letter telling Titus and the church. The power can transform. But church, it starts with you. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7, one of those summaries, or part of one of those summary statements. Paul writes this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works by, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of, of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is what Paul needed, wanted Titus and the, the Cretan church to recognize. He wanted them to make much of Jesus and to recognize there's nothing you can do. It's not by your righteousness because you don't have any. It's when God appeared, when the goodness and kindness of our God, when it appeared, he saved us, not us. We didn't save anything. He saved us when he appeared because of his righteousness. Paul was putting before the, the, the Titus and the Cretan church, what are you going to do with this Jesus? And that's a question I put before you this morning. Church, as individuals, what are you going to do with Jesus? And church, all of us, what are we going to do with Jesus? I want you to remember something. This letter, it was written to the church. It was written to us. It wasn't written to the, to the merchant who was coming to, cre to, to rip people off. It was written to the church because the church has to hold on to, has to accept and live out the truth before it can have any type of positive effect on those who are not yet believers in Jesus Christ. He's talking to us. He's telling us to, to quit the infighting, quit being distracted, live a life worthy of your calling, and quit wasting time. Chapter 3, verse 14, it's urgent. You've heard us say over and over and over that we need to live with this sense of urgency because we do not know the day or the time that Jesus will return. And we need to live, according to Paul, with this sense of purpose just in case God decides to hold Jesus back for a little bit longer. Church, what are we going to do with Jesus? Our goal is to go and make and baptize and lead to godliness because there and only there is true freedom found for this life and for eternity. The message of Jesus Christ is clear, it's secure, it's powerful, and it gives freedom. Our job is to bring that message of freedom to a world that desperately needs freed from all sorts of bondage.